Welcome to Season 3, Episode 13 of Lucas Baseball. I'm Lou Landers, joined by my co-host, Lucas Beery. Lucas, what's happening today, brother? How you doing? Not much, not much. I'm uh, very excited for this special guest we have brought on today. So, uh, yeah, fired up. Yes, we are very excited to have him here. We're going to talk about some big-time rookies, what type of impact they can have in 2021 fantasy baseball, and that special guest you alluded to joining us here to talk about these rookies. It's Tim McLeod from Prospect 361 Podcast. And Tim, firstly, happy belated birthday to you. I hope you enjoyed your day yesterday. It's a pleasure to have you here as always. Hey, every year that we see uh, one more trip around the old sun, it is a good thing, guys. Thanks so much uh, for having me on, and thanks for the birthday greetings. Much appreciated. Anytime, anytime. So let's get right into these rookies. Let's not keep the listeners waiting. We'll start with Dylan Carlson, outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. Intriguing bat for sure, expected to be the everyday right fielder right now, it looks like. Should be hitting in the six or seven hole in the lineup, I would say, Tim. Your initial thoughts on Carlson struggled a little bit in the short sample size last year. Do you think he will be able to recover from that? Do you believe in this player? Do you think he sticks with the big leagues all year? And what could his impact be? Yeah, I, I like Carlson moving forward. There's a lot to like. You know, the, the kid has a lot of skills. Uh He's batting in a good spot, I believe, for him uh, at this stage of his development in the Cards lineup. You know, hitting towards the back end of that lineup. But you know, we, we sort of we saw him struggle last year as a you know in his age twenty one season. The kid's just twenty two, and towards the end of last year, I think we saw some of the talent coming from Carlson that we can anticipate moving forward. The only concern I would have is. Uh, he falls into what I would call a, a post-hype sort of sleeper. Uh, again, set your expectations and the bar reasonably conservative and enjoy the fruits of your labors. I, I think it's going to be a slow and steady arc onwards and upwards, but I like Dylan Carlson this year, and he's going reasonably, he's not going early in drafts, It's he's going in a, a nice comfortable spot where I think you can do well by him. I think those are all good points, and I think the age point is a good one too, 21, still very young, not everyone can be uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., Mike Trout, etc., and excel at that young age. I mean, we saw it with Vlad Guerrero Jr. He might just be ready now to finally break out and have that big season after all the fuss. And he was a much bigger prospect than that of Carlson, even. Lucas, your thoughts? Yeah, Carlson is a, is a really interesting player. Just kind of looking at his prospect pedigree, he's one of the rare players I've seen that is labeled a future value 60. He's, he's a six player, but he doesn't have any 60 grade tools, which is really interesting, meaning that obviously he's going to have to have the sum of his parts come together for him to be a high impact in the big leagues. I think he's going to be pretty safe player. I, he could potentially push 20 homers with maybe like a 260 batting average. And if he can work his way up to the top of the lineup, that's where I think his fantasy value is going to stem from. He'll be able to hopefully chip in anywhere between like 8 to 12 steals, which will be nice. Personally, though, with the redraft cost being around pick 150, I mean, I don't blame anybody if they want to go for him, but I would kind of rather go elsewhere, maybe an Ian Happ or even a Fran Mel Reyes if those guys are on the board. 
Interesting. I mean, I know if he could move up to that two hole, for instance, ahead of Goldschmidt and Arenado, potentially, uh, that would be one hell of a spot in the lineup. He'd see a lot of fastballs to hit and uh, those young players coming up. I definitely love seeing those fastballs. Tim, anything you want to add here? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I agree. As he moves up in the lineup, obviously his his value to uh, our game and the real game are, are going to improve. Right now, I believe Goldschmidt is penciled into the two-hole, and I don't think that's the optimum situation for the cards. Yeah, the lineups I'm seeing have Goldschmidt 2, Arenado 3, with Edmund leading off, and I think Paul DeYoung in the cleanup spot. I'm sure that will change over time for sure. Jared Kalanick, another young outfielder in the American League with the Seattle Mariners, ranked as the number four prospect by MLB Pipeline, did suffer that grade two strain. Um, A muscle in the left knee happened a couple weeks ago, so he will begin the season on the injured list. Your thoughts on this injury, Tim, and what his production levels could be once healed and officially in the majors and in the lineup well uh i don't think he's going to start the season on the il lou he went two for three last night in his first game back really okay Uh, yeah no he's he's back uh he's a quick healer and uh it didn't take him the full three weeks in april to heal amazing how that worked (laughs) out uh yeah i i like jared kelnick uh i have him rostered in tote labor and a slew of other leagues that i'm partaking in uh the power speed i just find incredibly intriguing he's a he's a very confident uh youngster and i i think uh could very well be the uh early season uh spec candidate uh, for al rookie of the year i am very very bullish uh, again, he's young, but the fact that he can hit for power, he'll spray the ball over the park, and he runs, uh, it all bodes well, and it better bode well, or some of my teams are in massive trouble this year. <laughs> uh, I've done some, uh, I, I think uh, we aren't going to see him until, despite what former ex- former executive of the Mariners had to say, I don't think we're going to see him until the third week of, uh, third week of April. But I think when he arrives, the potential uh, to be an impact player this year in our game is very, very high. Well, when I said injured list, what I meant was um, minor leagues. (laughs) Uh, Yes. yes. (laughs) No, but thank you for correcting me on that. I was not aware that he played um, yesterday or the day before, whatever it was that you said. Um, The last I had seen was a couple days ago, and they weren't sure if he would be ready for opening day. So good to know. Never want to see anyone hurt, especially a young, potentially star caliber player like Kalanick. What do you got, Lucas? I'm absolutely on board with Tim. Uh, I've I've tried to load up Kellenick in, in a lot of different uh, different leagues and such, and he's by far the number one player that we'll talk about today that I'm I'm looking to target, and it's not even close. The fact that he could come up and provide that precious power speed in in today's game is so rare, and I think he's pretty safe too. Uh, now, where is he going to stand out? That's really the only question. But if you can do everything and, and do it at a plus level from a tool perspective, what's not to like? Well, yeah, he's not going to, he's not, I don't think he's going to hit 30 home runs and he's not going to steal 30 bases. 
but as a rookie, I can see 15-15, and that's a reasonably mm. solid contribution to our game, Lucas, no? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I was just thinking if there's anything that you can knock him for, it's just that he doesn't pop anywhere. But with the steals, he certainly could with if he can get those 20 bags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that would definitely count. Yeah, I, I, nice to know that I'm not the only one that's all in, Lucas. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that that plays out this season. I like him quite a bit myself, but Tim, my pick in the early front runner for AL Rookie of the Year is not Kalanick. It's this next guy. It's Andrew Vaughn, a first baseman for the Chicago White Sox. Not only do I think he will end up being on the opening day roster, um, especially now that they're in extension talks, and we've seen what the White Sox have done recently with up-and-coming stars like Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. Uh, But whether he makes this opening day roster or not, he'll be up in the first few weeks, kind of like we expect with Kalanick. And this bat can play. I mean, one of the best college bats coming out of the draft and um, White Sox ready to compete now. No reason to not have him up there. He'll play some first. He'll DH. And uh, I think he's going to be an impact bat right off the bat. Yeah, I, I agree, Lou. Uh, I've, I've made the investment in several leagues, redraft leagues this year. And uh, l- let's face it, uh, Adam Engel is not the future for the White Sox. Uh, he's currently penciled into one of the outfield slots with the OAM and Jimenez at the DH slot. They're going to, they, the spots, the spot is there for Vaughn and he's going to take it and run with it. I think there's a good possibility that he could sport one of the best OBPs in that White Sox lineup. He brings something to the White Sox that they that they don't have a lot of, and that's a, a selective hitter. You know, a lot of the White Sox bats, they're free swingers. And Vaughn brings a completely different look with that hit tool. And I like Andrew Vaughn an awful lot. And yeah, hey, I, I agree with you. He's got to be one of the front, front runners for AL Rookie of the Year. And if he signs the extension, we see him right out of the gate. If not, uh, catch a third week of April or so, right? I would say so. I think of all the rookies we're going to talk about today, he is the safest bet to produce as well. What do you think, Lucas? Where are you sitting on uh, Andrew Vaughn? I wish I would have gotten a little bit more into him earlier uh, this offseason. Lou and I have him in the uh, Roto Masters Dynasty 2 League. Um, I don't have any problems with him now. I just wish I would have invested previously because it looks like he is going to be one of the first impact rookies called up. The fact that this is one of the safest rookies out there, I mean, he doesn't even strike out 20% of the time. I mean, anytime you can see that for a guy that can – potentially hit a 200 ISO batting for one of the best lineups in the American league. I mean, there's really no issues with this guy that I can see. Yeah. Like I said, you know, Hey, the white Sox are all in They're playing. They're playing for now and they're not going to hold this kid up. Not one bit. It wouldn't make any sense to when you're trying to win. That's uh that's the biggest thing yet. I'm contradicting myself because Tampa Bay Rays are going to probably be holding this kid back and Wander Franco. Um, they're ready to win. They want to try and win. And Franco's the number one prospect in Major League Baseball. 
I don't think there's a question of whether he'll succeed. It's about when we'll get to see him because this Rays team does not rush players to the big leagues, mostly due to financial reasons, I would say. They do have a quality shortstop in Willie Adamas, but boy, could this kid really brighten this lineup, Tim. Yeah, he, he certainly could. And uh, who do the Rays have at third base? And uh, right now, I believe it's a combination of Willie Adamas. Uh, no, not Willie Adamas. Um, third base. John Diaz, Diaz, Mike Brousseau, maybe. Yeah, Brousseau, Satsugo, maybe. Uh, Wendell. Yeah, Wendell. Yeah, there, there's, there's nobody holding up Wander Frank over third base. And I believe he played played one or two games this spring. I, I think he's going to go down to the minors and he's going to spend uh, two, three months working on his, uh, his game at third base. And then I'm hoping that we see him sometime in June, even though the fact is the Rays just don't bring their kids up early. Uh, you know, would I be shocked if we didn't see him until September this year? No, nothing would shock me when it comes to Tampa Bay, but I think he's ready. It's just a matter of getting some extra work in it at third base because unless they trade Adamas, he's not going to take Adamas's job. Okay, and I don't think Wander Franco is a shortstop long-term anyways. I don't, I don't know if he's got the, the, the foot speed and the agility to, to work at shortstop. I think he would be a better fit in either the outfield second base or third and with the opportunity at third yeah who knows what's going to happen but I, I i agree i think he's a very exciting player and the sooner we see him in the bigs the better i just hope the rays agree with us you know well tampa should just sign him to a 10-year extension now and then they can bring him up and know that they're going to have him for 10 years um well, again, you got Wander Franco sitting there saying, I'm the number one prospect in baseball. And you got his agent saying, eh, there's no rush. So that's a, a double-edged sword sort of thing, uh, Lou. You know what I mean? Hey, it's it's easy to say, let's get this kid signed, get him into a long-term contract. But the money's got to be there, and the interest has to be on both sides, right? It definitely does. I think for a 20, 21-year-old, though, if they're flashed, um, you know, let's call it 10 years, $100 million. Um, it's hard for a kid that, I think, at that age to say no to $100 million guaranteed because um, you just never know. I mean, one weird oh, yeah. injury and career's over, but at least you have money coming in for the next 10 years too. So there's certainly lots of ways to look at it. But for the Rays, as financially strapped as they are, I think those long-term deals where you get a good yearly or annual salary is kind of the way to go for them. Like they tried to do with Blake Snell, clearly didn't work out. They had to trade him because he didn't want to be there anymore. But I'm getting off track here. Lucas, Wander Franco. (laughs) Franco is actually not a guy that I've really wanted to go in for my teams, even if he slips in drafts. I just think uh, that the playing time is just not going to be as clear as other targets I've had, such as, uh, Kelnick, um, and even Vaughn, now that now that things are looking like he's going to potentially uh, reach the majors in April. Obviously, this guy has a ton of talent. Um, but outside of that, I, I don't know. I want to get your guys' take. Like, I'm not really sure what he'll provide from a Roto perspective, if he'll even necessarily approach 15 steals or if he'll, evil, or, or if he'll even get 25 homers. Obviously, he's one of the safest prospects we've ever seen, but... From a roto category perspective, what are you guys thinking with Franco? Well, I think the the biggest 
uh, asset that he'll provide is, are obviously the all-round hit tool. Okay, you, you look at the the last series of numbers posted in the Myers 2019. He walked 30 times. He struck out 20. Okay, 390 OBP is it's again small sample size, only 400 400 and some odd at bats, but his OBP is 398. You know, his time in the Myers. Do I think he's going to hit 30 home runs out of the right out of the gate? No. Do I think he's going to steal 30 bases? No. I think as he ages, the stolen bases will probably drop. But if he was playing full time, I probably wouldn't pencil. I'd probably pencil him in for 20 home runs, 10 to 15 stolen bases for this year. And that's as a full time mm. player, which we know he's not going to be right. It's looking it's looking difficult for that to be the case since he's only 20. I mean, they do at least have somewhat of a reason to hold him back rather than him being like 23, 24. Yeah, it, exactly. And if you look at the, the history of the Rays, you know, the, yep. When did we see Evan Longoria when he signed the extension? Would Brandon Lau be on this team if he didn't sign the extension? You know what I mean? And, and again, uh, hey, he's a great player. I hope we see him sooner as compared to later. But I'm with you, Lucas. I I have no investment in Wander Franco in any of my leagues. Not a and what? And one more thing I wanted to add, I mean, like I said, I was kind of just trying to envision what his short-term future would look like from a Roto perspective. When you're looking at these prospects in your dynasties or even from a year-to-year perspective, I mean, we really don't know what they're going to do. We saw Oscar Mercado come up and absolutely destroy baseballs in 2019. So the guy has an incredible hit tool, one of the best uh, I think we've seen in the past few years. He walks way more than he strikes out, which is an incredible skill. And if he comes out in his career, he can have a 35 homer season a few years. I mean, I would not be that surprised, but in the short term, I'm not sure what he would provide. Well, yeah, and all you have to do is take a look at, I don't know if this is the best comp, but Vlad Guerrero Jr. You know, hey, he's got all the talent in the world. He's young, and at some point in time, I think this kid is going to be a very, very good player. But we've also seen him struggle early on. So there are no guarantees with any of these prospects, are there? No. There certainly isn't. There certainly isn't. And uh, guys, when I, maybe I'm crazy. I'd like to get your thoughts. When I think of Wander Franco, I think about the hype that was surrounding Yon Moncada um, before he got called up. An infielder, switch hitter, um, Tonda Talent, number one prospect. And he's developed into a nice player. But even that took him quite some time, Tim. Well, the, the problem when you look at Moncado is he never had the uh, the hit tool skills of a Franco or, or a Guerrero Jr. Uh, Moncado has basically, in my opinion, he hasn't he hasn't changed or his game has not changed since coming into the league. He swings at too many pitches out of the zone. You know, he strikes out too too much. Whereas I, I think when you look at Wander Franco, I'm not concerned about the hit tool. Moncado is the same player that we saw back in 2017, basically, and he'll swing at way, way too much. He struck out 72 times last year in the two-month season. That's Man, a that, lot of strikeouts. 
That's <laughs> a lot of strikeouts. Uh, I, I'm not bullish on Moncado because I don't think his game is developed. I think he's the same player that we saw three years ago when he made his debut. And again, hit tool comes into play for me in a big way. And that's why I can't compare Moncado and, and Franco at all. I that's fair. That's fair. Players. I looked at Moncada as a more of a power speed threat potentially, but certainly I agree with you that the hit tool is not as good, which is one of the reasons why uh, he probably has not developed into the star that the White Sox were hoping when they made that trade with Boston. Uh, speaking of other stars, I think this kid's going to be a star, Ian Anderson. Uh, Tim, to me, I think this is a possible ace of the Atlanta Braves as early as this year, taking nothing away from Max Fried, eventually Soroka. I know they brought in Morton, Smiley, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, I mean, 22 years old, he was spectacular last year, not just in the regular season, but then into the postseason uh, with no experience whatsoever. I think he is a big reason why the Braves were as successful as they were at the end of the season into the postseason. I think he's going to be possibly the key factor in whether they repeat as champions this year because we know they can hit the baseball. Um, the question marks on this team to me is in that rotation, whether everything clicks or not. And I think the key again is going to be Ian Anderson, very polished pitcher um, and a guy that really could take another step forward. Is he going to have a sub-2 ERA? Maybe not. He did that in a sh very short sample size, but uh, I just like the makeup. I like everything about him. Yeah, I'm I'm very cautious when it comes to Anderson. Uh, and, and the reason for it is we're coming off a season where, let's face it, he tossed 32 innings. Uh, I think that I think all of the scouting reports, for the most part that I've seen, had Am Anderson labeled as a number two, three type. Uh, I looking at this year, how many innings is he going to pitch? And that's one of the big concerns I have with any and all pitching this year, especially the young pitching. And I know we're going to talk about Sisto Sanchez next, but my concern with Anderson this year is how much are we going to get out of him and. That small sample size leads me to believe that we're probably going to look at a correction in an ERA somewhere in the mid to high threes. Not a bad pitcher, but I'm not going to count on much more than 120, 125 innings from Anderson this year. So based on his ADP and where he's going off the board, uh, I've been passing on Anderson for this year. Now, hey, we'll, we'll see what happens and how much work he gets in, but... When, it, when in doubt, I'm, I'm looking at some of the older, more veteran uh, established arms simply because I think they're going to get the innings in. And that's my concern heading into 2021. Very fair concern. I mean, I've gone as far as saying I don't think there's going to be one pitcher that even hits 200 innings because even a veteran like a DeGrom or a Cole, let's say, who were consistently pitching and throwing lots of innings, they only threw, what, 85, 90 innings max last year if you include the postseason. I don't care if you've thrown 250 before. If you expect these guys to go up 110, 115 pitches, I'm um, sorry, in innings from year to year, I don't care how many times they've done it. That's a scary proposition to me when you have the amount of money invested, Tim, that teams do. Well well, yeah, I've right now my my list of pitchers that that could exceed two hundred innings. I've got Max Scherzer, and that's that's about 
that's about it. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it, it's it's a very conservative number. And again, uh, especially when it comes to young pitchers, how much how much pressure are the are these teams going to put on these young players and how much work are they going to give them being that they have a, a rather sizable investment in these players? Uh, again, I, I think that we should look at all of these young pitchers and build in very conservative numbers. Better to be safe, safe than sorry. If you get the extra production and the other thing you've got to look at with pitching this year is, you know, you take a team like the Dodgers, okay. Or the Padres, they're pretty well locked into playoff spots. Okay, how much work are they going to give their vet? How many work innings is Walker Bueller going to pitch? How many is Clayton Kershaw? You Darvish, how much work is he going to get in September? These teams are, are set up for long and deep playoff runs, and I don't see them burning out their rotations to fight for first or second spot in their division when it's going to be wrapped up probably by, what, early August? <laughs> That's a very fair point. Lucas, your thoughts on Mr. Anderson here? Yeah, Anderson, uh, I'm I'm with Tim. Uh, I have been avoiding because he goes around pick 100 and sometimes before, and that's a little bit uh, too expensive for me with a player that, let's be honest, like Tim said, he did throw 32 innings last year. He was magnificent in those innings. If you watch the playoffs, your jaw was most likely dropped with Anderson. He just had such polish, and he just attacked hitters and made them look foolish most of the time. Like I said, I'm off of him, but if you do want to kind of go on the devil's advocate side of things, this is a guy that coming up throughout the minor leagues was regularly in the 28 to 30% K rate. The walk rate is a little worrisome for me. That's kind of one of the biggest drawbacks I think is given the fact that he does issue a lot of free passes that really gives me pause for concern, especially with the elevated price. But this is a guy that's pitching in a system that's developed Max Freed uh, and Mike Soroka as well. So they definitely know what they're doing but the price just kind of worries me with Anderson. That's fair. I mean, to each to each his own. Uh, I clearly have a little more faith in him than you guys do at this time. I mean, I just look at the track record of in the minors, and I look at the the pitch mix for a player of his age and limited experience, arguably. And I see him only getting better and stronger. Maybe I'm wrong for this season, which is unfortunately what we're trying to talk about here, but I see a potential ace at some point, but let's move over to Sixto Sanchez. Tim, your thoughts on him. He was great last year, but again, short season, what can we expect of him now? He's in a rotation with some other good arms. What do you rank him in that rotation? And just how do you think he can do this season in 2021? Yeah, I, I think you're looking at another uh, young pitcher with great potential. But uh, I am not really bullish, that bullish on Cecil Sanchez this year. I have him as the number four starter in that rotation right now behind Alcantara Lopez and Eliza Hernandez. Uh, again, I, I like the kid. I'm just being very, very cautious. You know, we saw in the playoffs last year, you know, the walks became a bit of an issue. Even though he throws the ball hard and very hard, he was hittable. Okay. I don't think there's as much movement on that fastball as a lot of people think. Uh I would be happy this year to see a sub four ERA, but I'm just concerned. And because of the, you know, again, 
small, short resume. Uh, I think I think Cisco Sanchez could be currently overvalued in the eyes of many, and I uh, I have him rostered in several dynasty leagues, and I like the future, but I'm not sure if the future is going to be 2021. I think that's fair, and I think that might be one of the first things we've agreed upon on this entire episode. So I'm glad I finally agree with you. I'm probably finally on the right side of things here. Lucas, your thoughts on Sanchez? <laughs> well, uh, ironically here, I actually have been getting a little bit of Sixto Sanchez uh, in some of my leagues. He's he's a bit cheaper than Anderson. That's kind of one of the draws to him. I've been getting him at times after pick 150 as my SP4, where I'm a little bit more nice. willing to take a risk. Yeah. So that's kind of the, one of the differences there. But looking into Sixto specifically, I mean, this is a guy that is a ground ball machine, had a 58% ground ball rate, has that bowling ball sinker fastball mix that is in the high 90s, touches over 100 I don't really think he's going to necessarily, unless something drastic changes, I don't think he's going to be a strikeout artist right away. Maybe as he gets older, gets a little bit more wiser with his pitching. He does not really have a huge whiff pitch, but I think if you're looking at a guy that can deliver hopefully a sub uh, 375 ERA, and like like Tim said with Anderson, he's going to have his innings limited, but if he can give you 120 to 130 innings, uh, hopefully from kind of May till the end of the year with a break or two added in. Uh, I, I do actually don't, I don't mind him as my SP four because I do think there is a little bit of upside and, and the ground balls uh, definitely lure me in with the elite velocity. Ground balls is definitely a huge thing, uh, especially with the way home runs are hit nowadays. Getting him after pick 150 is also, you know, that's something I would certainly take a gamble on too. As I've been seeing him go in the 115, 120 range, uh, which yeah. to me is far too early. Um, and uh, yeah, I do think the strikeouts can go up. Look at Sandy Alcantara slowly, but surely they are going up, even though he's never been a big strikeout guy. He throws 98, 99 sometimes with that sinker. Um, and it's not the not the type of guy you think is going to rack up, you know, a 12K per nine or anything. But if Sixto can even sit at a nine and a half K per nine at some point, nine or nine and a half K per nine, um, I think he can be a very good pitcher. I'm just not so sure it happens this year. Tim, anything yeah, else you want more. to add here? I had one more quick thing I wanted to add in. Uh, sorry to cut you off, no, Luke. Add it um, and then turn it over to Tim. All righty. Uh, so one of the really appealing things that I also found with Sixto kind of when diving into him is his homers per nine have been extremely low. His highest homers per nine at a level he's given up is 0.82, and he's he really limits the homers. And I think it's because he keeps the ball on the ground and, and because he has that insane velocity. You've either got to kind of sell out to hit it or uh, you're going to hit a grounder. So that's one of the other appeals is the uh, limited homers he allows. Yeah, that, no, definitely fair enough. Again, my big concern with a lot of the young pitchers this year is when you're looking at trying to construct your team, how many innings are you going to get out of these guys? And what my concern would be is, yeah, it, it's nice to have the young upside potential pitchers, but you're going to have to have a, a really good mix this year because of what happened last year. And too many of those young pitchers, you might find yourself in a little bit of a hole as far as your innings pitched 
and even making the minimums like you know it's been a topic that uh, you know has been discussed numerous times you know most standard uh, rotisserie leagues have a 900 or a thousand minimum inning pitched requirement well you know you end up with two or three of these kids and you can mm-hmm. find yourself struggling to make that minimum and, and just be very very cautious that you're not drafting too many of these kids and when you're building your plans make sure that you find some way to accommodate the inning, minimum innings pitch requirements for your league. I think it's something that a lot of people are neglecting to spend some time with when looking at team construction, guys. It could certainly wind up being an issue um, for, for sure. And I don't even know if it's, again, just the kids you have to worry about. I think guys who are used to seeing throw 175, 180 yeah. might max out at 145 or 150. Yeah, in, in redraft leagues this year, I, I agree, Lou. In, in redraft leagues, the standard, the norm has always been uh, a 6-3 mix, okay, for the most part, okay, in redraft leagues. Six starters to three relievers. Definitely. I changed my mix this year to 7-2. Okay, and I'll hold a relief pitcher on my reserves for now because I think having the extra starting pitcher is a smart play for this year. Yeah, well, I planned on that in some leagues, but I also have Carlos Carrasco in a number of those leagues. So I'm back to 6-3, even though I planned for 7-2. That's that's kind of how the cookie crumbles, unfortunately. Yeah, that's left a a little (laughs) bit of a mark for a couple of months, but hopefully we see him back by... By mid-May. I'm hoping so, Tim. I'm hoping so. So one more player to talk about here. Bobby Witt Jr., shortstop, Kansas City Royals. And I think he's worked his way into possibly cracking the opening day roster. I guess the question is, Tim, does he? And do you think he can produce at a high level right away? Well, you know... Dayton Moore, on, on, unlike his former uh, executive in Seattle, is saying all the right things, okay? And and that's the way it ha- the game has to be played. You know, he, I guess the, the reason that this is being brought up is because of a discussion he had with, uh, oh, who did he have it with? Jim Bowden, I guess, okay, on a, a serious show, you know. And he said he's open-minded about Bobby Witt making the open day roster. Well, that's the right thing to say. It's not going to happen, okay? It's, it's just, I would be totally shocked, okay, if you take a 20-year-old and the Royals move him into that lineup right away. I, I can't see it happening. Number one, they got this Mondesi kid, okay, in Kansas City. He's going to play shortstop. Now, is Bobby Witt ready to, to play second base or possibly third? Uh I don't, I don't see it. Uh, I don't see it happening, especially with Hunter Dozier at third, Carlos Santana at first, and they got Jorge Soler at uh, DH. So I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's wonderful that uh, Witt has stepped up and his name is now a bit more in the spotlight than it was per se for the average player uh, a year ago. But Bobby Witt's going to be a very good player. I think we'll see him at some point in time for a cup of coffee this year, but I'm holding very, very little hope that we see him on a regular basis, you know, anytime early in the season. I just don't see the Royals heading in that direction. Uh, uh, Again, I'm very happy that he's elevated his stock. He's playing very, very well, but I I think he's a ways away still. 
Well, that's, I mean, you're right. They're saying the right things, but that doesn't mean that it's actually going to, uh, to happen. It could be a lot of coach speak, this type of thing you hear certainly in the NFL. Lucas, your thoughts on Bobby Witt? Yeah, I, I mostly agree with Tim there, and, and I don't really think he said anything that I disagree with, to be fully honest. Uh, a few a few key points that are in Bobby Witt Jr.'s favor of making the opening day or even the April roster, if you want to call it that, if you want to give him, get him the extra year, if you want to put him up April 20th or whatever, a few key points. Kansas City has been quite aggressive uh, with their history of promoting prospects. Obviously, they brought up Adalberto Mondesi during the World Series. They brought up Chris, uh, Lou Lynn, Lou's boy, uh, Chris Bubich, uh, last year, way earlier than anyone expected. So uh, that's a yeah. That's but they just optioned them. But he, they just optioned him. I'm very upset about it. I have him everywhere. Oh, that is a gut gut blow, uh, gut wrenching blow right there. But uh, another key thing that that they've done is that. They were one of the organizations that continued to to do their best to to pay their staff, and and Dayton Moore himself even took a pay cut uh, to kind of disperse the money. So that is good. I, I do believe that they they kind of are a little bit higher standard of organizations in terms of rewarding their players and doing right by them. But given the fact that this guy has so much swing and miss, he's only 20 years old. He is going to turn 21 this summer, which makes it seem like he's a little bit closer, but I would be a little. I would be fairly surprised if they were to bring him up in the first half of the season. Second half, I guess it's possible if he's crushing the minors. But uh, I'm, I kind of lean with Tim there. I just wanted to add a few points in Witt's favor. Yeah, uh, I, I I love I love Bobby Witt. I I really do. And oh yeah, and I I think he's as far as a prospect. It, it it's not that he hasn't been on the radar, but he hasn't up until this spring, he hasn't generated a whole lot of national media hype. Is that the right way of a, you know, he's sort of been, he's been there, but I've tried to acquire Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, in several of my dynasty leagues. And all I get is no, no, <laughs> and, and more no. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, he's going to be a very, very good player. And I think when you look at Kansas City, I, I think as an organization and a team, I think they're going to be a very, very good team. Mm-hmm. And their window, I think, could open as early as next season. When you look at, you know, you look at Brady Singer, okay, you look at Bubik, you, you take a look at the two big lefties, Lacey and Daniel Lynch, they, they're going to have a really nice team in relatively short order. So uh, for those suffering in Kansas City, I think the future is going to be very bright, and I think it's going to start, uh, you're going to start seeing some of those pieces as early as the second half of this year. And Lots of reason to be excited in Kansas City, I think, guys. Yeah, you know what? They shouldn't be suffering that much. Their team was still in the World Series six years ago and seven years ago and won one of them. Uh, there's a lot of other fans of teams out there, and even including my team that's won 27 times, as the fans will like to try to remind you, haven't been there since 2009. So, um, uh, my team doesn't even exist, guys. Well, there, there <laughs> you go. There, uh, although they they did, although the franchise did just recently win, Tim. Consider it a win when we see baseball back in Montreal, guys. That's, uh... <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, 
Tim, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I know you've got a busy weekend ahead of you with other industry um, drafts going on. So just thanks again for the time, the incredible insight, and looking forward to speaking with you again throughout the season. Uh, totally my pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. And hey, at any point in time, you need some uh, somebody to say too many A's in uh, any sort of discussion, give me a call. <laughs> glad, glad to join you. Lucas, do you have any final thoughts here, buddy? No, I'm just uh, I'm just really excited uh, to, to see uh, see baseball here in the next few weeks, and uh, it's kind of the calm before the storm, as I said uh, said before we started recording. So excited to see what happens shortly. Yes, very exciting times if you are a baseball fan, really just a sports fan in general. I'm Lou Landers, co-host Lucas Beery, special guest Tim McLeod. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.